Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to our show. <laughs> Number 695. We're live from the American Birding Expo here at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. Nice that we have a, a little studio audience here. The show doesn't even open for another half hour, so that's pretty good. Well, we have a special on-site guest this morning who's an expert on bird migration, but we thought we'd start out with a story that offers at least a bit of partially good news concerning migrating birds' ability to deal with the effects of climate change. More than 100 years ago, zoologist Joseph Grinnell and colleagues from the Museum of Vertebrate Zoology at the University of California, Berkeley, conducted a decades-long survey of animal life in California, covering virtually the entire state. In 2003, museum scientists decided to begin what would be a years-long retracing of Grinnell's steps to try to find out what had changed for birds over those 100-plus years, as detailed in a National Academy of Science Proceedings report. Dr. Morgan Tinley and colleagues at the university discovered that most species now nest about a week earlier than they did 70 to 100 years ago. And their study of about 200 species showed that most of them are adapting to rising temperatures with what they described as overlooked flexibility, offering a hopeful sign of birds' ability to cope with increasing temperatures related to climate change. The researchers suggest that it's unclear which species can benefit the most from this adaptability or if the early nesting strategy can continue to keep up with still rising temperatures. But they say that it seems to be working for at least some birds for now. New York Times has a more detailed overview of the study, and you can find a link to it on our Facebook page. Well, we got a preview here of our mystery bird contest, which is coming up a little bit later on in the show. We want you to be ready to call in. We had a pretty unusual bird a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were at the... Audubon Society of Rhode Island Raptor Weekend, and we have kind of an unusual bird this time. That wasn't the bird. That was a little baby that's just close by here. Um, but anyway, here's the sound of our mystery bird, kind of an unusual one. Our mystery bird, which originates from the temperate to subtropical areas of Argentina and surrounding countries in South America, and has established itself in many U.S. cities, including New York, Chicago, Dallas, our hometown of Boston, and right here from near where we're broadcasting today, Philadelphia. Our bird has bright green upper parts with a pale gray forehead and breast, and very light green to yellow underparts. The tail is long and tapering. The bill is orange. Our mystery bird feeds on plants and buds and weeds and fruits and berries of ornamental shrubs and trees. And in the winter, we'll eat seeds from your backyard bird feeders. We have one hand raised already and a few quizzical looks. Uh, prizes today. The beautiful Droll Yankees new generation 13-inch metal finch sock that combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of 
metal and holds a full pound of niger or thistle seed and our bonus prize once again this week a download to your ios device or online access to the lark wire app that makes learning bird sounds a game so be ready to call just a little bit later on in the show and we'll give the signal uh, here shortly meanwhile some of the stories and videos we have for you on our facebook page this week you've seen how birds chow down at your backyard feeders but how come they don't get fat some new research offers an explanation and will link you to Science Magazine's story about it. Still having trouble distinguishing between downy woodpeckers and hairy woodpeckers? We'll link you to Mike O'Connor's latest newspaper column in which he offers some help. And there's action this week in our favorite bird cartoons department. All that stuff right now on our Facebook page. Well, we're happy to be able to say thank you to some more new Talking Birds ambassadors helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. And we say thank you to Charlotte DeMarco from Bristol, Rhode Island. She says she's been listening for several years, her husband Bill, and she attended uh, our live broadcast in Bristol, Rhode Island uh, two Sundays ago. She says it was great, especially the kookaburra. There he is again. He can't quit us. Uh, congratulations, too, and thank you to Amir Butler from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. He joins our Young Ambassadors group. He's 12. He says he loves birds and animals in general and plans to become a zoologist. He says, I've always had a fondness for birds and hope other birds get the message about your show. And thank you to Deb Dooley from Albuquerque, the Duke City. She says she loves the Talking Bird show and uh, has become our first ambassador from the land of enchantment, the great state of New Mexico. Many thanks, Deb. To become a Talking Birds ambassador, it's pretty easy. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll uh, welcome back to the show after a four-year absence, Dr. David LaPuma, director of the famous Cape May Bird Observatory, Cape May, New Jersey, to talk about the technology and international cooperation involved in tracking migratory birds. Plus, we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, from the uh, famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod, who's going to talk about, I think I've forgotten what uh, Mike's subject is. Oh, the Finch Report. Finch is coming down from the north to the lower 48. Ron Pittaway has a famous report, and Mike will be giving us some details uh, about that. And up next here, we have a bird that looks way better than it sounds, as today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. We take you now into a meeting of the executive committee of the American Ornithological Union, the group which determines the names by which North American birds are officially known. The chairman is about to speak. All right, we have one more item on the agenda. A citizen request to change the name of the snowy egret. Is that correct, sir? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, why do they call it the snowy egret anyway? Uh, well, sir, if you'll notice, the bird is white. So snowy would seem a good descriptive term. Yeah, but, but aren't a lot of other egrets white? Like the, the little egret and the great egret and the cattle egret. Not to mention the white morph of the reddish egret. He I has mean, a point, Thurston. 
Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, point taken. Uh, what name might you suggest, sir? Well, um, I mean, given the unique color pattern of the bird, especially with the bright yellow feet, my initial thought was that maybe it should be called uh, the snowy-bodied, black-billed, yellow-lord, black-legged, uh, mustard-foot egret. The snowy-bodied, black-billed, yellow-lord, black-legged, mustard-foot egret. That's rather a long name, sir. Yeah, well, uh, I'm still working on it. Well, it looks as though, for now at least, we'll keep calling it the snowy egret. A striking, slender bird that usually feeds in open water, spearing or grasping fish with its long, sharp bill, which is black in the adult during breeding season, with those yellow lores. That's the part between the base of the bill and the eyes. The adult snowy egret's legs match its bill. And just the way those yellow lores contrast with the black bill, there are those feet quite startling to see when the bird raises its foot out of the water and reveals those I just stepped into a vat of mustard-colored feet. Oh, and here's what the snowy egret sounds like. A bird that looks a lot better than it sounds. The snowy egret, our featured feathered friend, you're on Talking Birds. Thanks again for being with us here live this morning on our show from the American Birding Expo at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. Well, David LaPuma is uh, here with us. David is director of the New Jersey Audubon's famous Cape May Observatory. David, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Ray. It's really cool to be here. I'm not used to being in front of a crowd when I'm talking to you, so it's pretty exciting. We have a little audience here even before the uh, expo opens this morning, which is really nice. So, David, last time we talked was in 2014, and it was just before you became the director of Cape May Bird Observatory. So I'd like to offer you a belated congratulations four years late. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And it's still, it's still the dream job, so it's very exciting. So we talked about uh, migrating birds last time, especially having to do with radar and other ways of tracking. So that was four years ago. From a technological uh, standpoint, what, what's different now? What have we learned? What new technology has developed? Yeah, so I, there's been some new technology um, since then. The radars, the radar network that covers the U.S., which is about 160-plus radars, uh, the National Weather Service radar system, that's been upgraded to a dual polarization um, uh, schema. So they're collecting more data, and by collecting more data, they're able to kind of fine-tune um, the, the classification of what they're seeing in the radar. So there's a lot more congruence. There's a lot more um, ability to say this is actually biological data versus non-biological data, rain, hail, and whatnot. And they can actually classify the size of the, the, the hydro meteors they're called so basically the birds and the, and the and the insects and everything that's in there cluttering up the the weather data and on top of that you've got great researchers who are now kind of crunching that data i think the biggest technological advance or the biggest advance hasn't really been technological it's been kind of quantitative so so learning how to analyze that data and actually um, create algorithms and create models that can interpolate outside of the radar's view and really say something about bird migration volume and and coverage uh, across the whole landscape so that's that's kind of the biggest stuff that's been happening now and even over the last few months we've seen some great products that are that are starting to tell the story of bird migration across the continental US 
What, what are some of the real hot ones right now or exciting ones? Um, I think some of the stuff you're seeing at birdcast.info, which is Cornell's uh, program, where they're they're not only taking the radar data, but they're taking the radar data, they're taking the bird, the the um, eBird data, so the citizen science observations, and they're using some really high-tech quantitative models to cr to add those two things together to kind of paint the picture of migration. And you're seeing some really cool forecasting models. So BirdCast actually forecasts what the migration is going to be like, looking at all the historic data for over two decades of, of radar data and 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 data that's been put into this, so real-time, on-the-ground uh, collected data. And so the forecast models are getting better, so we're knowing in advance when things are going to be moving. And then once things move, we're actually knowing what kind of numbers we're seeing. So we're, you know, you're hearing you're hearing some reports now of billions of birds migrating over seasons, uh, millions of birds migrating over several nights, uh, hundreds of thousands of birds migrating over a night over a single area. So those are the things we, we couldn't say that with authority uh, very recently in the recent past, but we're starting to be able to say that now. We talked recently uh, off the air, David, about. Uh other observatories around the world and how important they are and how uh, they're doing this sensor work. I, I wondered why they would be censoring things, but then I realized it was sensor with an S. So they're doing something kind of important. Right. So when we think about, I like to think about the radar system. So we've got 160 radars around the U.S. that are all sensors that are all detecting migration, and each of them in isolation gives us so much data. But if we can look at that across the whole country, then we really get a good picture of migration at a broad scale. Bird observatories are sensors as well. So they're all collecting data individually around the world. We're now starting through the International Bird Observatory Conference. It started in 2014. We hosted it in Cape May in 2017. It's going to be in Elat, Israel in 2019. Um, through that effort, we're really trying to link all of those bird observatories to act like a giant sensor network so we can look at global migration and global conservation and answer, answer, the, answer the big conservation questions that are affecting birds on a global scale. By the way, uh, if you're anywhere around the Philadelphia area, the American Birding Expo today continues until 3 today, so you have plenty of time if you're nearby to come by. If you can't make it here, then certainly you'll have time to get to the Cape May uh, Birding Festival, which is uh, next month. And David, I think you might know a little bit about what's happening there. Yeah, we've got our, our um, big event, our big fall festival, uh, So Many Birds, happening October 19th to 21st. But if you get there on the 18th, we have a kickoff party, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, we've got great speakers. J. Drew Lanham will be our Friday night keynote speaker. And Merlin Tuttle, the Batman, will be our Saturday night speaker. And he'll be doing bat workshops as well. So it's going to be a phenomenal, jam-packed event. We'll have... The Cape May Convention Hall packed with vendors, and we usually get about 3,000 people come through the convention hall. So come out, come see what's going on. we got live bird demonstrations, all sorts of walks and workshops, so a lot of fun it, at the peak of migration. And this is interesting about the bats, too. What, what percentage of birders are interested in bats, do you think, or are they becoming more interested? I think birding is really a gateway to all of these other things that are that are happening, all these other natural world things that are happening. I mean, we get a lot of birders get get into people get into birds, they get into butterflies after that, dragonflies, and bats are something. You know, now that we're getting the nocturnal migration, we're thinking a lot more about bats because they're on the radar. They're, we're seeing them early in the morning and late in the evening. So I think bats are kind of the the next frontier for the birders, and it's a flying mammal. How cool is that? <laughs> so the Cape May Birding Festival. Give us those dates again, David, if you would. That is October 19th to 21st, and the 18th, which is the Thursday before, is our kickoff party. And best way for folks to find out about tickets and such? Go right to njaudubon.org. It's the top link at the top. You can't miss it. And uh, registration is just one click away.
And just one quick thing also, just for people who might not know about Cape May and what makes it such a big deal place, give us a little overview if you could. Well, if you don't know about Cape May, then you're really missing out and you got to get there. It is the tip of the migration funnel in the fall. It's where the major concentration of birds happens just by natural geography in the fall. Uh, birds are getting funneled down from getting pushed on northwest winds to the coast and they get funneled down to this point in Cape May. And it can be, even on a bad day, it can be amazing there in the fall. And in the spring, the Delaware Bay is one of the most phenomenal shows of, of natural wonder. You've got all the shorebirds that are coming there to stop over to feed on horseshoe crab eggs. So that spectacle is something that should be on every birder or every naturalist checklist of things to do. Can we have a round of applause from our studio audience for David LaPuma? He is the director of the uh, great Cape May Bird Observatory, New Jersey Audubon's Cape May Bird Observatory. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Ray. It's great being here. We're live here at the American Birding Expo in Oaks, Pennsylvania, or at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center. As we mentioned, the expo continues until 3 this afternoon. So uh, if you're not too far away... Uh, hop on uh, uh, your bike or or your get in your car, whatever it takes to get get here. It's pretty easy to get to, and you don't have to go into the you know into the city uh, proper. So it's a uh, pretty pretty easy to pretty easy to do. And thanks again for being with us. Uh, meanwhile, we go to our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Laura Blakesley from Charlotte, North Carolina. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because even without being one, I already was one. Every time I would be meeting people out on the birding trails, I would be talking about the show and how fun it was to listen to and asking everyone to tune in to Ray Brown's Talking Birds. It's for anybody who likes birds. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. By the way, if you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live, there's a little secret way you can do that, and that would be online. So uh, if there isn't a Talking Birds affiliated radio station near you, and there's a pretty good chance that that's so, uh, you can hear us uh, live online. Uh, just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, and you can see uh, how to do that. It's pretty easy. I have done it myself. Our mystery bird contest, the number to call, we'll give you that right away so you'll, you'll have it ready. Um, we often do get close to running out of time or completely running out of time for our mystery bird contest. So we want to try to give you that number uh, so you'll be ready to call in as soon as possible. And that would be 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. And you're eligible uh, to win if you haven't been a winner in the uh, past uh, six months here on Talking Birds. Uh, let's see. We'll hear again the sound of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird, which originates from the temperate to subtropical areas of Argentina and surrounding countries in South America and has established itself in many U.S. cities, including Philadelphia and New York and Chicago and Dallas and our hometown of Boston. Our bird has uh, bright green upper parts with a pale gray forehead and breast. Very light green to yellow underparts. The tail is long and tapering. 
and the bill is orange. Our mystery bird feeds on plant buds and weeds and the fruits of berries of ornamental shrubs and trees. And in the winter, we'll eat seeds from your backyard bird feeders. So don't say we didn't warn you about that. That's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes, including the Droll Yankees' new generation, 13-inch metal finch sock. It combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. And our bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Remember what makes our Mystery Bird Contest special is the fact that you don't necessarily have to get the right answer in order to win. If no one gets the exact right answer, we'll do a little drawing. And uh, our man Tim, back at the studio, will uh, choose a winner for us. So tell us definitively what that bird is or take your guess. Either way could work just really nicely. Uh, 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor is back there on Cape Cod, we're told, and we'll check in with him in uh, just a moment and find out about some of these wintering finches uh, coming down to the lower 48 uh, this winter. Uh, he has some insight about that, and we'll, we'll find out about it. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides, the Kaufman Field Guides, and many more useful guidebooks and reading books. If you're listening from the southeast, you may be interested in the newest book in the Peterson Field Guide series. While some of the more than 1,800 species of moths in southeastern North America are drab grays and browns, many are quite colorful with swirls and swaths of pinks, greens, yellows, and violets. This comprehensive guide is the best tool for identifying and appreciating these ubiquitous insects. With helpful tips on how to set up a moth trap for observation, and with range maps and graphs showing when each species is in flight, the Peterson Field Guide to Moths of Southeastern North America provides everything an amateur or experienced moth watcher needs. Available wherever books are sold. We're waiting for the uh, music to play for Let's Ask Mike. Is it playing? I can't, uh, I can't. I'm going to try it again here and see if we can get this uh, music to play because Mike, as we know, does not. Uh, do there it is. What a lucky break. Uh, we know how that <laughs> works. In the if I don't hear the music, I don't move. No music, That's no talking. That's the rule. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Understand. Well, glad we were able to get it to you, Mike, even in this primitive method that we're using here today. But. Uh, Anyway, hey, Philadelphia. Did you have a cheesesteak for breakfast, right? No, I saw some cheesesteak pretzels yesterday. I didn't know they had those around here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a couple of those back for you. Oh yeah, they sound, they sound good. That sounds yeah, they, vegetarian to me. They are totally vegetarian. These the cheesesteak pretzels here, because the pretzel part makes it, uh, makes it vegetarian. <laughs> That's so what they took. I'll have to. I'll just have to check into that. So, Mike, uh, last year it wasn't a great year, generally speaking. I think for wintering finches coming down to the lower 48, according to Ron, well, according to the reality. But this year, Ron <laughs> Pittaway's forecast uh, offers uh, some hope for a lot more, lot more birds of different uh, species this year. Am oh I right? Oh my goodness! This is exciting news. This is what like sports. They went to NFL draft, the NBA draft. They all look forward to. Well, bird watching store owners, they wait for Ron Pittaway's 
prediction of the finches. And last year wasn't very good, but this year they predicted what they call an eruption year where birds come down from the, the, the northern parts of Canada and they flow down because it's a bad seed crop. The birds eat seeds and cones. And they typically, unlike like our hummingbirds and orioles, which migrate out of here in the summer, uh, from the summer in the fall, and get out of here for the winter, they come down when there's no food. They just assume stay in Canada, enjoy, you know, the universal health care or whatever. But when there's no food, they come, they push their way south. So people in the northern part of the eastern United States should expect some really exciting things on their feeder. This is not like when the snowy owls and the great gray owls come down and we have to go out to some godforsaken, isolated, freezing field to look for them. These birds will come right to our backyard. And we're talking about maybe pine gross beaks and evening gross beaks and red, red and white ring crossbills and red poles and pine siskins that we don't often get to see. And there's, there's a good thought that these birds will be coming down this year. So if you've got a feeder, keep an eye on it and keep it stocked because this will be the year we've been waiting for, at least us, uh, you know, greedy bird seed store owners have been looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you clarified that last part there. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. We're looking forward to that. And what about uh, snowy owls? Have we heard anything from that? I know it's part, no, not no part of the... No word on that yet. It's a little yeah? bit, I think it's a little bit early for that. But last year was a great year. So hopefully, you know, that, those again run in cycles. So I don't expect that to be much of a, you know, an eruption like it was last year. But this year, it will, should be good for backyard birds. And, you know, if you want to get out a little bit, they're even thinking maybe uh, bohemian waxwings. The, you know, the big cousin of the fairly common cedar waxwing will be out there, but they typically won't come into a backyard, but you might have to travel a little bit into the woodlands to see that. But this will be a good year to be a bird watcher, just warm, get your binoculars and, you know, get out there into the woods because this will be the year, you know, study up what your crossbills look like. Those, I think you did a program on, on crossbills a week or two ago, and they're very interesting, unique birds. And I think uh, time to get out there and... Check them out. Dress, dress no. warm. You know, have some, have some scrapple before you go. <laughs> All right, get ready for the music, Mike. No, never mind. You had the music. Oh, there it is. Okay. Oh, the music. I got to go. Oh, you feel better. All right. Talk to you next week, Mike. <laughs> okay. See you guys. Enjoy your show. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. Mike O'Connor down there at the uh, famous Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans, uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. If you just joined us, we're live at the American Birding Expo here at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. And the expo continues until 3 this afternoon. So if you're not far away, please come by. Admission is only 10 bucks, and it's a fabulous uh, show. There's so much to see here. And there's uh, things to hear also here on our Mystery Bird Contest, uh, to which we will return right after this brief message. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. All right, Tim, could we hear that mystery bird uh, once again here? 781-837-4900 is the number to call if you think you might be able to identify that bird. 781-837-4900. Beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and the LarkWire app. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And um, we have Joy in Houston, Texas on the line. Good morning, Joy. Are you there, Joy? I know Texas is a long way. Long takes a while for the signal to get there. Joy, thank you for calling in. I'm actually calling from the expo. 
Oh, you are? Are you, like, right in front of us here somewhere? No, I, I walked a, outside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you came all the way from Houston to the expo here in Philadelphia. That's pretty I did impressive. Indeed. Wow. Why don't we give a round of applause to Joy? She, she must be one of the uh, farthest travelers, I would think. But uh, we're digressing a little bit here, Joy. How about our mystery bird? I'm going to take a stab and say a Quaker parakeet. Quaker. Whoa. I don't know. Tim, Tim is not buying that. I think something very <laughs> close to that is an alternate name for this bird. Uh, so uh, you, well, you're still in the running there if we don't get a, 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 an answer that Tim can accept more, uh, more readily. Okay. Well, thank you. Our traveling companion is here. Thank you very much, Joy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's try uh, Michael in Center Reach, New York. Good morning, Michael. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling in, Michael. And we're really short on time. Sorry about that, but can you tell I'm us about this? I'm going to say it's a monk parakeet. You're absolutely right. Monk parakeet. Thank you. Stay on the line, Michael. We'll get your uh, address and send you those, those prizes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody here at the American Birding Expo. And thank you for our instant audience for showing up here. That is so awesome. We are out of time for this week. Thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club.